0: Welcome back to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our journey through God's word. Now on today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is sharing with us another message from our series on the life of David. And today we'll be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 25. But before we get to that, I wanna thank you for downloading and listening. I wanna encourage you to come and worship with us. We meet at 10.30 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. You can find out more information at calvaryfayetteville.com or give us a call at 479-442-4634. Well, again, Pastor Kirk is in the book of 1 Samuel looking at chapter 25 as we look at a message entitled David and Abigail. Let's listen together.
1: We want to now focus on the word. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel. We're at chapter 25. 1 Samuel chapter 25. David is not yet king. In fact, in the eyes of many in the land He is less than a dead dog or a flea. Those are not my words. Those are David's words in chapter 24 as he referred to himself. We found last week that David spared Saul's life in chapter 24. And it appeared as you read through that chapter, as we worked through it, that Saul's heart had softened towards David because of that. Remember, Saul said some words like, My son David, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. May the Lord reward you good for what you have done to me this day. I know that you shall surely be king. It appears that Saul is backing away from his intentions of destroying young David. But in chapter 25, our text today, we find that David and his men are still on the land, so to speak. They're still running for their lives. In the very next chapter, chapter 26, God is going to once again. Deliver Saul into David's hand. And David will have the opportunity of killing Saul and being rid of this problem. So keep in mind the chapter we're going to look at today, a rather lengthy chapter, is bookcased between two opportunities that David has to take Saul's life. Two times that God is going to deliver Saul into his hand. And David is going to be merciful to him. He has been and he will be in the next chapter. And we have chapter 25 in between. It's between these two chapters demonstrating David's mercy, grace, and forgiveness that we have our story today, the story of David and Abigail. As I said, it's a lengthy story. We'll do our best to read the majority of these verses, for the most part, letting the Scripture themselves just be the story with not a great deal of enhancement, maybe a few key points for organization, and then also uh, some key points for application to take with you today. Hear the word of the Lord. Chapter 25 and verse 1. Now Samuel died... And all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house in Ramon. Now let's pause for just a minute, because that's just less than a full verse into this chapter, and yet it's pretty dramatic in what it's telling us, and in its brevity, in its in its just a, a shortness of detail, it is pretty astounding. Uh, that we mark the passing of this great man. Samuel, keep in mind, was the last of the Old Testament judges. He's somewhat of a transitional uh, man with a transitional ministry. He is the last of the Old Testament judges that judged Israel for some 400 years after arriving into the promised land. And he is the first of what becomes the the prophets as we know them. Now, that's not to say there were not prophetic voices before, but he was not only known as a judge, he was known as a prophet and also as a priest. Samuel is the one that started, began what was known as the school of the prophets And it's out of this school of the prophets that later on we will encounter great men like Elijah and Elisha. So we mark his passing, but it's just pretty incredible, it seems, that that it's such a small obituary that God writes for him in the Word. Basically, we know three things. Samuel died. Now, it's appointed... Unto all people wants to die. Amen. Even great prophets of the Lord. Samuel died. All Israel assembled and mourned. Was Saul in the crowd? Was David there for the service? We don't know. All Israel assembled and mourned. And he was buried. So we pick up the story with the next sentence. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man of my own whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, mark those words, but the man was harsh and badly behaved, mark those words. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent 10 young men and David said to the young men, go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have, have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm. And they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. This is the word of the Lord. We'll read several times, so we'll let that stand. Thanks be to God for his word. Number one, a reasonable request. A reasonable request. Request Now, let's pause after that paragraph and just take note of a couple of things. First of all, the cast of characters in the story. Of course, center stage is David. We have met him before. We are studying about the life of David, a man, God's man. Through times of faith, through times of failure, he was a man after God's own heart. He is the future king. But for now, he is a fugitive. Then we have Nabal. He was very rich. 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. That is a wealthy man in this day and time. But he was harsh and badly behaved. The name Nabal means fool. And it doesn't mean fool as in clownish. But it means fool as in one who is, is disrespectful, one who is just awful to be around. He's abusive. He is someone who is very irreverent. And some people believe, some scholars believe, that Psalm 14 was a Psalm of David written in response to this story of Nabal. Psalm 14 begins the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. Nabal means fool. Nabal has said in his heart that there is no God. That's what kind of man this is. His wife is Abigail. She was described as discerning and beautiful. She was beautiful within and without, both in countenance And in character. Now, I read this somewhere, and for the life of me, I cannot find it. And I'm not enough of a Hebrew scholar to confirm it. Let me just tell you what I remember reading, but just don't quote me on it until Joe Land, our resident Hebrew scholar, confirms it for you. That this word, beautiful, describing Abigail, is only used of two other people in the Old Testament. One is Sarah, the wife of Abraham. The other is Queen Esther. If that's true, then Abigail is in good company when it comes to her looks. She was beautiful. And then we have 10 young men, unnamed. They are some of David's outcast army, some of the ne'er-do-wells that have followed him, some of the 600 men that Are with him, and these are the characters in this story. Now, notice the occasion and the setting. David's men have sought safety, the Bible says, in the wilderness of Paran. Now, just last chapter, they were in the wilderness of Engedi at the Wild Goats Rocks. That was a wilderness, but Paran is a wilderness also, a very different kind. Of wilderness, one is full of canyon lands and mountains and caves and nooks and crannies, and the other is a, a, we would say, a God-forsaken desert wilderness. But understand, the wilderness is never God-forsaken for David; it is always God-full because God meets him there and God prepares him in the wilderness. To be a king after God's own heart. The wilderness was Godful, but he had to wander from wilderness to wilderness. It's kind of like if you travel in the hill country of Texas. Have you ever been down there? You say, I try to stay out of Texas as much as possible. But it's not all like Dallas, Fort Worth, and it's not all like Houston. Some of it is ruggedly and amazingly beautiful. But if you go into the hill country of Texas, you've got to travel hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles in order to see it all because the hill country of Texas has at least four or five different parts and they all look different. And it's much larger than this Bible area where David is, but I imagine David going from one wilderness to another to hide out from Saul, who is still trying to take his life. Now, this Paran is an area of the wilderness just above Sinai. It's where the children of Israel would have come through uh, had they been able to come directly to the promised land. It's a desert wasteland. Two towns are mentioned, Maon and Carmel, small towns just north. This is not Mount Carmel, Where Elijah faced off against the prophets of Baal. This is a small town in the Judean wilderness or near the Judean wilderness. And it's the hometown of Maonias for Nabal and Abigail. If Carmel sounds familiar to you, just a few chapters back, when King Saul went out to face the Amalekites, do you remember that story? And he was told to destroy all of the Amalekites. He didn't do that. He kept their king and he kept a lot of the uh, treasure, a lot of the cattle, a lot of the herds, a lot of uh, the value of those people. It was basically what his disobedience facing the Amalekites is what resulted in Saul being rejected by God. It's that serious. But Saul was pretty proud of himself because when he came back to Carmel, this little town here, he built a monument to himself. And so this is some of Saul's old stomping ground. So that's where, where this is taking place. It is sheep, a sheep shearing season. Say that three times real quickly with me. Sheep shearing season. Okay, It happens in May and June. One time a year, these shepherds guard the sheep. They shepherd and lead the sheep from water hole to water hole, from one place of grass to another, never lingering very long in any one place because there's not that much grazing ground available. And if they stay in too long, the sheep will eat all the way down to the roots to where the grass will not come back. And when you watch an old black and white Western, that's why the cattlemen always wanted to run the sheep herders out of the land because they would eat the grass all up and it would never come back. So these shepherds spend 11, almost 12 months a year with their sheep, helping them to be fed, to find water, to find grass, to find nourishment, to protect them and to guard them from wild beasts and from thieves and from others that would endanger the flock. And so when it comes sheep shearing season, they come to the sheep shearing place. Here it was near Carmel, and they spend the better part of several weeks and sometimes a month or two, depending on the size of the flock, of shearing The sheep. This is when they make their money. They've been growing wool all year long. Now they are harvesting the wool. It is a festive occasion, it is a celebrative time. Yes, it's hard work, it's dirty work, but yet it is work that's going to produce uh, their livelihood. For another year at least. And so every evening is a festive. It's a holiday. It's time where there's extra food to eat. And the master, the one who owns the sheep, will see that they have lots of food and lots to drink. It's just a time of revelry. And among this event, in the middle of all this event, David's ten men come and make a request. David sends them, He even gives them the words: "Greet Nabal in my name. Tell them I sent you, And tell him, "Peace be upon you, your house and all that you have. You have had our protection while in the wilderness. Let us find favor in your sight, and share your bounty. With us. It was a kind, respectful request. It was something that was not unusual. Because understand, a lot of the places where these shepherds had to go and take their flocks, understand they were in constant danger, not just of wild beasts, but the land was full of thieves, was full of people who would take. From others. There was no state police to call. There was no protection. But while they were in the area where David and his men were, David and his men gave them protection. It was, it was not asked for. It was not paid for. But they treated them well. Later on, he's going to say they were like a wall Around these shepherds Keeping them and their flocks safe So it was an understandable request And this is something That was not wrong Or rude to do To ask would you share Your bounty with us Since we have been protecting you So that is uh, The reasonable request Let's continue our reading With verse 9 When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David. And they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? And who is Jesse? That's David's father. There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. Once again, let's pause our reading. This is a rude response, point number two. A rude response. An unexpectedly rude response from the owner of the sheep. Now, keep this in mind. This request made by David was not presumptuous. It was not unusual. It was quite common. Herdsmen and shepherds were often in remote areas full of bandits and thieves who not only threatened the flocks, but the shepherds themselves Most of the time, they had no one to help guard them as they tended the flocks. But Nabal's men had had a wall around them in the form of David's men. Nabal's men had benefited from the protection of David's fighting men who were living at that moment alongside them. And Nabal's response, now keep in mind, Nabal knew exactly who David was. All Israel knew who David was. They had heard the story of David and Goliath. They had heard the story of David's victories as he had led Saul's army against the Philistines and against others. They knew of Saul's attempts on David's life. They knew that tension was building throughout the land. As David and Saul jockeyed for a position, as as Saul pursued with 3,000 crack soldiers, David and his meager 600 'er ne'er-do-wells. And as they just continued to slip away at the last minute, and they all wondered how long will it be until Saul finally corners him and captures him. He knew exactly who David was. But remember Nabal was a fool. Nabal lived in Maon which was a town where Saul himself had erected a near Carmel where Saul himself had erected this monument monument to himself and his victory over the Amalekite king Understand that, no doubt, Nabal was a Saul man in his politics. You think politics is a recent occurrence? (laughs) They had it back then, a thousand years before the days of Jesus. And Jesus himself, a thousand years later, is going to be the victim uh, of the political uh, climate of the day. There are those today that say, I'm a this man, or I'm a this kind of man. This is my politics, or this is my politics. Well, Nabal had on the back of his chariot, if he had one, a bumper sticker that said, I'm a Saul man. Not a soul man, but a Saul man. He hated David. He never met David. Had probably never seen David. David. But he hated David because he was a Saul man in his politics, blindly loyal to a tyrant. And while he is worth a lot of money, understand he is a worthless fellow. It was a rude response. We take up our reading with verse 13. And David said to his men, every man strap on his sword And every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. I mean, after all, someone needed to guard their stuff, right? 200 men stayed with their stuff, their baggage. 400 went after Nabal and his men. This is point number three, a rash reaction. A rash reaction. Now let me pause here for just a minute. This will not be on the screen, but you need to write it down. Because it is the big question that's taking place here. And it's not limited to this chapter. This is the big question that permeates all of these chapters we've been looking at in 1 Samuel. And the question is this. We know that David has been anointed king back in chapter 16. But the question is, what kind of king will David be? What kind of king will David be? You need to write that down because that will continue to permeate the remainder of the chapter's of this book, 1 Samuel, and as we get into 2 Samuel, when David becomes king. What kind of king will David be? In chapter 24, he was a magnanimous and merciful king to be. He had the present king and his life in his hands, but he would not lift his hand against God's anointing. In the next chapter, God's going to once again have Saul lying there asleep on the ground and Saul with David or David with Saul's spear in his hand and an opportunity to take the life of the man who is seeking his. And he will not do it. So here we have this magnanimous, this merciful king, our future king, so merciful that it is frustrating his men. They are vexed because they are fleeing for their lives. They have tied their lives to David's and David keeps letting their enemy live. But in this moment, David is going to wipe out Nabal and all of Nabal's men and that there will never be a descendant of Nabal that continues on this planet. We have a rash reaction. Strap on your swords. David was angry. He was ticked off. His blood was boiling. All he could see was red. And all he could think of was revenge. Somebody is going to pay. Somebody's blood is going to run free. Now keep in mind, this is the same David the merciful that now is appearing to become David the murderous. No longer David the merciful in this story. Now here's a key truth, and I hope that you'll remember it. David was a king, a king to be, that in this story is tempted to act like a fool. David is a king tempted to act like a fool. Nabal is a fool pretending to be a king. You say, why why do you say that? Well, if you read all the way to the end of the chapter, one of the last things Nabal is going to do in this life is he's going to have a feast, a feast like a king. He is a fool by his name and by his actions, acting like a king, while David is tempted to be a king to act like a fool, a rash reaction. Okay, our story continues. In verse 14, it is our lengthiest reading. It is our final of four points before I give you the application points. Verse 14. But one of the young men told Abigail... Nabal's wife, behold David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master and he railed at them yet the men were very good to us and we suffered no harm and we did not miss anything when, when we were in the fields as long as we went with them he's talking about the protection of David's men verse 15, listen to what this This unnamed servant, this young man says. They, speaking of David's men, were a wall to us both by night and by day. All the while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know this and consider what you should do. For harm is determined against our master and against all his house. And he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. Can you imagine? This is what one of his men is saying about his master to his master's wife. Our master, your husband, Nabal, is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. He will not listen to any kind of counsel He will not pay attention to anybody. He is indeed a stubborn, worthless, foolish, disrespectful to man and to God kind of person. Verse 18. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five siahs, that's about, uh, siah is about seven quarts, of parched grain, and a hundred clusters of raisins, and two hundred cakes of figs, and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, Go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey and came down under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness. So that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him. And he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David and more also. If by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David... She hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. She's speaking of herself. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord, whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt, and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil To my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord to be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. And evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living, in the care of the Lord your God, and the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord, according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel... My Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. Now, those are the words of Abigail. This is David, verse 32. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. Who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion. And blessed be you. Who have kept me this day from blood guilt. And from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord the God of Israel lives. Who has restrained me from hurting you. Unless you had hurried. And come to meet me. Truly by morning there had not been. Left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her from her hand what she had brought him. And he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice, and I have granted your petition. Point number four, a royal restraint. A royal restraint. I'll explain what that means in just a moment. Abigail was an unusual woman. I might say that she was the primary driving force in the verses that we just read. She was a woman to be reckoned with. And I don't know if you took note or not, but you might mark this down. She was a woman in a hurry. A woman in a hurry. Twice in that text, it said she hurried. And before this chapter is over, you're going to find she's going to hurry and get on her donkey and ride off again. She is a woman in a hurry. She is full of purpose. She is intentional. She does not delay. She doesn't mull it over. She doesn't spend time just trying to to figure out what to do next. She was intentional. She is described as discerning and beautiful. Beautiful. And she was God's tool for stopping David dead in his tracks as he is on his way bent on the destruction of her husband. Now, I want to say this to you. She wasn't just protecting her husband. She knew what a worthless man her husband was. She was the tool of the Lord Not to save her husband, she was the tool of the Lord to save David and to save David's reign in Israel. You see, David had lost his temper. This is what Eugene Peterson says. David lost all sense of his identity as God's anointed. David, who had been able to see the maniacal King Saul as a temple of the Holy Spirit, now couldn't see Nabal as anything but an ugly piece of garbage. That was a stench in his life. David was on the verge of becoming another Saul. Out to get rid of anyone who threatened his status and His role. Do you remember what it was that caused Saul to turn against David? Do you remember? David had killed Goliath. And Saul had made him a captain of his armies, leading his armies in battle. He was barely in his 20s, if that. But everywhere David led Saul's army, there was victory. Glorious victory. And one day Saul heard the little girls in the street, maybe the women at the well or somewhere going about their daily duties, singing a little song that had caught on. And the song went something like this I'm not sure of the tune, but the words were Saul has killed his thousands. But David has killed his ten thousands. Both were exaggerations, but to Saul it was a threat to him. That somebody, that anybody that let alone this this little barely wet behind the ears whippersnapper could supplant him in his status and in his role as the greatest warrior in all of Israel. And his jealous rage took over. In much the same way that David's anger and rage had taken over in this story. And so David is on his way to doing exactly what Saul was doing as he was seeking to hunt down David. Out of jealousy, out of whatever, out of perceived, whatever it was in his mind, he was going to kill the one that he thought was responsible, and that was Nabal. And certainly, Nabal was a worthless man. The Bible tells us that. But David is about to become Saul II. Saul the second. And so what do we see? We see marginal Abigail. Marginal Abigail as the person God uses to save David from himself. Why do I say marginal? Well, she's a woman, isn't she? In living in a man-dominated world. Ma'am, if you feel like your gender has made you marginal today, understand you know nothing about being marginalized compared to what it would have been like to be a woman in this day. She was marginal because she was a woman in a man-dominated world. She is marginal because she is weaponless in a sword-rattling world, in a sword-rattling situation. And yet, without hesitation, she steps right into the middle of it. Why? Because even unknown to her, God is the one sending her to save David's reign. To save David from himself. She is a royal restraint. Now, listen to the wording, and I think it'll make sense to you. Abigail speaking back in verse 26. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt, she recognizes that God is seeking to restrain David. God is saying, time out, David, breathe deep. This is not the right response. She recognizes what David doesn't recognize that God is not with him at this moment, that God is not leading him at this moment. And he goes on, and David hears that. She says, It is God stopping you, not me, but God. And then David's. As he comes to himself. Listen to what he says beginning in verse 32. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day. David recognizes it, who sent you to meet me. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, Who has restrained me? So David says both. He says, Abigail, you have restrained me. At the same breath and the same paragraph, he says, God has restrained me. What he's saying is, God has worked through you to make this difference in my life at this moment. Let me wrap this up to a close. I've kept you too long. Here's a key truth. Were it not for the restraining grace of God, we would all find ourselves living in our own man-made hells. We would all find ourselves living in our own man-made hells. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying to you, we all want and ask for, and desire to have God to establish our steps, to lead us, and to guide us. We all want that on the one hand, even as David did. We all want to be men and women after God's own heart. But sometimes there are situations that come there are temptations that arise. There are circumstances that break loose around us that we didn't expect, things that, that we didn't plan on. And we react and we respond to those things in negative ways. Have you ever maybe just At the slightest thing, someone cuts you off in traffic. Someone says something to you that sounded disrespectful of who you were. Something was said or done, and all of a sudden, out of your calm demeanor, have you thought things and felt things and responded and reacted in ways that were inappropriate to the moment? I do it all the time. I'll say something, I'll think something. If I'm enough in control, I'll hold it in that that my wife or someone around me does not know what I just thought. That maybe I used to say, but maybe I've broken that habit, but still the old feelings just spring up. Have you ever felt like that there was a certain temptation? are a certain weakness in your Christian life that that you used to struggle with, you used to have difficulty with, and you thought you had defeated that long ago. But then in a moment of weakness, you find yourself returning to that thought, that action, that habit. And you think, where did that come from? I didn't know that was still inside me, but it was. Now here's the point. God is going to allow those circumstances and not just allow them. Sometimes God is going to send them to you in order to show you what's in you that you did not know was in you. You say, do you mean God is going to tempt us? No, the Bible doesn't say God tempts us. God does not solicit you to do evil. But I'm going to tell you what. God will let you be tested by it. And if it were not for the fact that God the Holy Spirit is not just there to lead us and guide us and open doors for us and bless us. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is there to change your direction because you're getting ready to go down a direction that is not right. He did that to... Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16, we find it all through the Bible. God, sometimes his work is to restrain us, to restrict us. And that's exactly what he's doing in David's life here. And we don't like it when God tells us no. We don't enjoy it. It may even frustrate us or make us angry. But listen to me, God's restraining work in your life is one of the most blessed things He gives to you. Were he, if He were to let you go down every road you wanted to go down and felt an impulse to go down, your life would be a living hell that you would never get out of. Abigail, now don't leave your saying that I said she was. But Abigail was like the Holy Spirit in this story. She's the one who speaks for God, who speaks the words of God. She was a still, small voice in the very scene of this woman bowing to her face in the dust of the wilderness Before the once and future king is one of the most precious sights in all the Bible. She is saving David's rule, she is saving David from himself. Here are the key lessons to take with you. I just state them very quickly. We often do not know our own hearts, we don't know our own hearts. David didn't know his own heart until it was exposed. And he did not think this kind of rage was in him. After all, he had shown mercy to the man most responsible for all of his problems. But yet he had no mercy for this fool. We often don't know our own hearts, so God will test us. And that's why oftentimes things get worked out of us that need to get worked out number two God brings unexpected people into our lives to help shape us into the image of Christ God brings unexpected people into our lives I could say so much about the state of the Lord's church today and how it applies to this Christian people Oftentimes, search all over the countryside to find a church that'll sing their kind of music, do their kinds of ministries, live up to all their expectations. And once they find it, after a little while, they find out, you know what, it's just normal people there too. Sinners are in that church also. You need a church home. You need to find one and get planted in one and make it stick and realize there's going to be people around you that are going to be weird. They're going to be different. They're going to be frustrating. They're going to be irritating. And guess what? They are God's chosen Abigails to your life to help you, to walk alongside you, to be a source of, Of restraint sometimes to you. That we can build each other up. We can fulfill the one another's. We can slow each other down when that's needful. Number three. God not only leads and empowers. He also restrains and stops. And that's just as much the work of God that we need. And when you take all of this in one package. And wrap it up. This is what is called providence. Providence. This is providential. God's providential care for his children. God is guiding the story even when David doesn't know which wilderness to run to next. God is protecting David from his enemies, not with Soldiers with strong arms, not with some kind of political decision in Jerusalem that will change the course of, uh, of, of action and the story, but sometimes through Abigail's, sometimes through even his enemies, to shape and guide the story. It's providence, God's providential care for his children. God is just as much at work in your life as he was in, li- in David's life a thousand years before the time of Christ. Maybe the most comforting passage, verse, in this whole story is found in verse 29, and I'll leave you with this. These are the words of Abigail speaking prophetically, though she did not know it. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, she's talking to David, the life of my Lord, she's speaking to David directly, The life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. Do you get the analogy there, the picture? David knew all about the sling, didn't he? And your enemies, what will God do with them? He will sling them out away from you like out of the hollow. That's the leather part that held the stone, the missile that was about to be sent. That he will send them out. He will sling them out as from the hollow of a sling that your enemies will be separated from you so far. That's what will happen to your enemies But David, what will happen to you is this. The Lord is going to to bind you in the bundle of the living, in the care of the Lord your God. Jason and Jana, just like that grandbaby, little Charlie, is that his name? Just like today, he will be bound up. Literally bound up from head to toe, in the bundle of the living, in the care of his parents. Even so, child of God, Jamie, every one of you Hal, on you? Those in the balcony, Kate, Justin, Amanda, Lydia, you're a child of God. God will bind you up in the bundle of the living and he will hold on to you And you are in the care of the Lord. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for this amazing story of David and Abigail. I know we didn't read the rest of the story. To know how it all ends. I just pray you would remind these, your children, of this. And they will read it maybe before the day is over. And to see the end of the story. As you work in their lives. And be a reminder of the way you work in our lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Our hearts desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.